Section 11 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Jake Melitzia. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 7. By Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rudd. Rienzi's Revolution in Rome by Richard Lodge When for nearly forty years Rome had been deserted by the popes, who had betaken themselves in 1309 to a long residence in Avignon, France, and when the Eternal City was virtually without an imperial government, the Teutonic emperors having likewise abandoned her, she fell back upon the memories of her great past recalling the glories of her ancient supremacy and the means whereby it had been established and maintained. Whatever might promise to restore it, she was ready to welcome. At this time, the real masters of Rome were the princes or barons dwelling in their fortified castles, outside or in their strong palaces within the city. Over the northern district, near the Quirinal, reigned the celebrated old family of the Colonnas, while along the Tiber, from the Campo di Fiore to the Church of St. Peter, extended the sway of the new family of the Orsini. Other members of the nobility in the country held their seats in small fortified cities or castles. Under such domination, Rome had become almost deserted. The population of the seven-hilled city had come down to about 30,000 souls. When at peace with one another, which was rarely, the barons exercised over the citizens and serfs a combined tyranny, while the farmers, travellers, and pilgrims were made victims of their plunder. At this period, Petrarch, that first modern man, wrote to Pope Clement VI that Rome had become the abode of demons, the receptacle of all crimes, a hell for the living. It was in these circumstances that a momentary revival of order and liberty was effected by the most extraordinary adventurer of an age that was prolific in adventurers. This was Cola di Rienzi, who was born in Rome about 1313, and who was sometimes styled an Italian patriot. In his ambitious endeavour to reinstate the Caesarian power in Italy, he appears alternately in the figure of a hero and the character of a charlatan. Believing himself the founder of a new era, he was inflamed by his successes, and ended in mystical extravagances and follies which could not fail to cause his ruin. Cola di Rienzi was born of humble parents, though he afterward tried to gratify his own vanity and to gain the ear of Charles IV by claiming to be the bastard son of Henry VII. A wrong which he could not venture to avenge excited his bitter hostility against the baronage, while the study of Livy and other classical writers inspired him with regretful admiration for the glories of ancient Rome. He succeeded in attracting notice by his personal beauty and by the rather turgid eloquence which was his chief talent. In 1342 he took the most prominent part in an embassy from the citizens to Clement VI and though he failed to induce the Pope to return to Rome, which at that time he seems to have regarded as the panacea for the evils of the time, he gained sufficient favour at Avignon to be appointed papal notary. 
From this time, he deliberately set himself to raise the people to open resistance against their oppressors, while he disarmed the suspicions of the nobles by intentional buffoonery and extravagance of conduct. On May 20th, 1347, the first blow was struck. Rienzi, with a chosen band of conspirators and accompanied by the papal vicar, who had every interest in weakening the baronage, proceeded to the capital, and, amid the applause of the mob, promulgated the laws of the Buono Stato. He himself took the title of tribune in order to emphasise his championship over the lower classes. The most important of his laws were for the maintenance of order. Private garrisons and fortified houses were forbidden. Each of the thirteen districts was to maintain an armed force of a hundred infantry and twenty-five horsemen. Every port was provided with a cruiser for the protection of merchandise, and the trade on the Tiber was to be secured by a river police. The nobles watched the progress of this astonishing revolution with impotent surprise. Stefano Colonna, who was absent on the eventful day, expressed his scorn of the mob and their leader, but a popular attack on his palace convinced him of his error and forced him to fly from the city. Within fifteen days the triumph of Rienzi seemed to be complete when the proudest nobles of Rome submitted and took an oath to support the new constitution. But the suddenness of his success was enough to turn a head which was never of the strongest. The tribune began to dream of restoring to the Roman Republic its old supremacy, and for a moment even this dream seemed hardly chimerical. Europe was really dazzled by the revival of its ancient capital. Louis of Hungary, and Joanna of Naples submitted their quarrel to Rienzi's arbitration. Thus encouraged, he set no bounds to his ambition. He called upon the Pope and Cardinals to return at once to Rome. He summoned Louis and Charles, the two claimants to the imperial dignity, to appear before his throne and submit to his tribunal. His arrogance was shown in the pretentious titles which he assumed, and in the gorgeous pomp with which he was accompanied on public and even on private occasions. On August 15th, after bathing in the porphyry font in which the Emperor Constantine had been baptised, he was crowned with seven crowns, representing the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost. His most loyal admirer prophesied disaster when the tribune ventured on this occasion to blasphemously compare himself with Christ. Rienzi's government deteriorated with his personal character. It had at first been liberal and just. It became arbitrary and even treacherous. His personal timidity made him at once harsh and vacillating. The heads of the great families, whom he had invited to a banquet, were seized and condemned to death on a charge of conspiracy. But a sudden terror of the possible consequences of his action caused him to relent, and he released his victims just as they were preparing for execution. His leniency was as ill-timed as his previous severity. The nobles could no longer trust him, and their fear was diminished by the weakness which they despised while they profited by it. They retired from Rome, and concerted measures for the overthrow of their enemy. The first attack, which was led by Stefano Colonna, was repulsed almost by accident, but Rienzi, who had shown more cowardice than generalship, disgusted his supporters by his indecent exultation over the bodies of the slain, and there was one fatal ambiguity in Rienzi's position. He had begun by announcing himself as the ally and champion of the papacy, and Clement VI 
had been willing enough to stand by and watch the destruction of the baronage, but the growing independence and the arrogant pretensions of the tribune exasperated the Pope. A new legate was dispatched to Italy to denounce and excommunicate Rienzi as a heretic. The latter had no longer any support to lean upon. When a new attack was threatened, the people sullenly refused to obey the call to arms. Rienzi had not sufficient courage to risk a final struggle. On December 15th, he abdicated and retired in disguise from Rome. His rise to power, his dazzling triumph, and his downfall were all comprised within the brief period of seven months. For the next few years, Rienzi disappeared from view. According to his own account, he was concealed in a cave in the Apennines, where he associated with some of the wilder members of the sect of the Fratticelli, and probably imbibed some of their tenets. Rome relapsed into anarchy, and men's minds were distracted from politics by the ravages of the Black Death. The great jubilee held in Rome in 1350 became a kind of thanksgiving service of those whom the plague had spared. It is said that Rienzi himself visited the scene of his exploits without detection among the crowds of pilgrims. But he was destined to reappear in a more public and disastrous manner. In his solitude, his courage and his ambition revived, and he meditated new plans for restoring freedom to Rome and to Italy. The allegiance to the church, which he had professed in 1347, was weakened by the conduct of Clement VI and by the influence of the Fraticelli, and he resolved in the future to ally himself with the secular rather than with the ecclesiastical power, with the empire rather than with the papacy. In August 1351, he appeared in disguise in Prague and demanded an audience of Charles IV. To him he proposed the far-reaching scheme which he had formed during his exile. The Pope and the whole body of clergy were to be deprived of their temporal power. The petty tyrants of Italy were to be driven out and the Emperor was to fix his residence in Rome as the supreme ruler of Christendom. All this was to be accomplished by Rienzi himself at his own cost and trouble. Charles IV listened with some curiosity to a man whose career had excited such universal interest but he was the last man to be carried away by such chimerical suggestions. The introduction into the political proposals of some of the religious and communistic ideas of the Fraticelli gave the emperor a pretext for committing Rienzi to the Archbishop of Prague for correction and instruction. The Archbishop communicated with the Pope, and on the demand of Clement VI, Charles agreed to hand Rienzi over to the papal court on condition that his life should be spared. In 1352, Rienzi was conveyed to Avignon and thrust into prison. He owed his life, perhaps, less to the Emperor's request than to the opportune death of Clement VI in this year. The new Pope, Innocent VI, was more independent of French control than his immediate predecessors. The French king was fully occupied with internal disorders and with the English war. Thus, the Pope was able to give more attention to Italian politics, which were sufficiently pressing. The independence and anarchy of the Papal States constituted a serious problem, but the danger of their subjection to a foreign power was still more serious. In 1350, the important city of Bologna had been seized by the Visconti of Milan, and the progress of this powerful family threatened to absorb the whole of the Romagna. Innocent determined to resist their encroachments and at the same time to restore the Papal authority 
and in 1353 he entrusted this double task to Cardinal Albanoz. Albanoz, equally distinguished as a diplomatist and as a military commander, resolved to ally the cause of the papacy with that of liberty. His programme was to overthrow the tyrants as the enemies both of the people and of the popes, and to restore municipal self-government under papal protection. His attention was first directed to the city of Rome, which, after many vicissitudes since 1347, had fallen under the influence of a demagogue named Baroncelli. Baroncelli had revived, to some extent, the schemes of Rienzi, but had declared openly against papal rule. To oppose this new tribune, Albanoz conceived the project of using the influence of Rienzi, whose rule was now regretted by the populace that had previously deserted him. The Pope was persuaded to release Rienzi from prison and to send him to Rome, where the effect of his presence was almost magical. The Romans flocked to welcome their former liberator, and he was reinstalled in power with the title of Senator, conferred upon him by the Pope. But his character was not improved by adversity, and his rule was more arbitrary and selfish than it had been before. The execution of the condottiere, Fra Moriale, was an act of ingratitude as well as of treachery. Popular favour was soon alienated from a ruler who could no longer command either affection or respect, and, in a mob rising, Rienzi was put to death, October 8, 1354. But his return had served the purpose of Albanoz. Rome was preserved to the papacy, and the cardinal could proceed in safety with his task of subduing the independent tyrants of Romagna, Central Italy had not yet witnessed the general introduction of mercenaries, and the native populations still fought their own battles. The policy of exciting revolts among the subject citizens was completely successful, and by 1360, almost the whole of Romagna had submitted to the papal legate. His triumph was crowned in this year, when, by skilful use of quarrels among the Visconti princes, he succeeded in recovering Bologna. End of section 11. Read by Jake Militia.